You're listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Tyler Jones. I'm your host. Thank you for listening in, whoever you may be and wherever you may be. May the Lord bless this podcast to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth. On the podcast today is Jason Rowland. He's a senior pastor and one of the elders here at Believer's Baptist Church, and another of our elders, Philip Castleton. And this is a series of questions coming up throughout the month here of November where we once again kind of address things that may or may not have been misapplied or misunderstood, um, things being scriptures. And so the first question um, for this week, Jason, is money the root of all evil? Is money the root of all evil? It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. But let's do a little foundation work first. Number one, let's just know that the Bible says much about money. And that um, we could, for example, look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Or perhaps we could take Matthew chapter 16 and read verses 25 and 26. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And those are just examples, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, of what the Bible speaks concerning money and how to think about possessions and material things. And what we need to understand before we look at the text in 1 Timothy is that what believers do with their money says a lot or is probably a definitive measure of the uh, spiritual maturity of that person. And so we need to think about our money spiritually. We need to think about how we spend our money biblically. We need to think about how we save and how we plan um, our work. All of these things tie into finances and money. And so the first thing I would say to us is having money is not a sin in regard to this verse that we're about to look at. So that what is typically said from 1 Timothy 6.10 is that Money is the root of all evil. What we're going to find out is that that is not what it says. So I would say in the understanding that we need to have as believers about money is that money, having money, is not a sin. I would also say this, money uh, finances, um, the ability to gain wealth, um, these are gifts of God. Thirdly, I would say that believers must be willing to be generous, and we're taught to be generous um, in all of the um, finances that God gifts us with. We are taught as believers that we should be generous. We're taught as believers we should work for our money. Uh, We're taught as believers that we should uh, guard against the idolatry that um, comes with loving money. So these are just thoughts that are laying the foundation for us to come to the text. So let's look at the text. I'm going to read in chapter 6, 1 Timothy, beginning here um, in verse 2. It's the last part of 
verse 2. And remember that Paul is writing Timothy. Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus, and Paul is addressing the needs of the congregation to Timothy and saying, teach and urge these things to Timothy. Now, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with this with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So then the verse comes at the end of the context and what we're looking at. And Paul is addressing false teachers and their greed, their love of money. And so that's why he begins this whole passage about the warning that if anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with sound words of the Lord Jesus, then that person has to be avoided. That person can't be given any place, particularly in the church, because he's puffed up and he understands nothing. And he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and stirring up trouble and causing dissension with his false teaching. And all of this, the point is this, all of it's motivated by greed. Mm -hmm. He wants the financial benefit that comes as an eloquent speaker, as one who has place and privilege. We see that this is a problem even in 2 Corinthians. Mm -hmm. And remember, we just got through doing a whole series on 2 Corinthians, and that was one of the things that we um, see that comes so clearly out of reading and studying Second Corinthians that false teachers had come into the church, had put themselves forward for the sake of financial gain, personal gain. That's what's happening here. That this situation that Paul is warning Timothy about is that the motivating factor is that these people actually think that their um, teaching and what they are doing in terms of godliness is gain to them. And it is gain. It is gain financially. It's not gain in the spiritual sense. That's why it's a, there's this contrast in verse 5 and 6. Here's the contrast. Imagining, that is, these false teachers are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. They're imagining that, that it is a spiritual gain, but it the truth, the reality is that it is a financial, personal gain to them, but godliness with contentment is great gain, is what Paul says. Mm -hmm. And so, with contentment, that is, being satisfied, knowing that what God has given you is 
what he means for you to have. Now steward that well. Be content with that. That is the means of godliness. So that's why he says, if you have food and clothing, be content with these things. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and many senseless and harmful desires that they plunge people into being enslaved to financial gain. And that's why at the end of the text, Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, not uh, the, the love um, of money is a root, not money itself is a root of all kinds of evil. Right. Um, well, I got, I got a couple things I want to say, and then I want to come bring back with a question. Okay. Okay. Um, Deuteronomy 18, uh, uh, chapter 8 actually yes. says that, that God is the one who gives the power to have wealth. Yes. So, um, you know, I've actually even said to people before who, who have, I've heard people criticize people like Donald Trump or something because of the amount of money they have, um, irrespective of his position and or what they think of him as president. You know, their, their, their uh, concern would be, well, look how rich he is, that kind of thing. Well, he, um, he is rich. I'm not, I don't know whether he's gained all of his riches through um, honest or dishonest means. But nevertheless, um, God has given him the power to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. This is a God-given thing. So um, that being said, we, we, we should rest in the fact that um, money itself is not an evil. Right. right. Um, and even then, um, it tells us here, though, and this is where I want to get back and then ask you a question. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. All right. Right. And then it goes on. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So what do we do um, with the American dream? What do we do with the American dream? What do we do even in the context of, of Christians who um, their first... Now, I, I'm, I'm not criticizing um, sending your kids to college. I'm not. I'm criticizing that being the first thought that you have, which is the first thought um, that the pagan has. I'm criticizing the fact that our thinking isn't distinct from the pagans, mm-hmm. that it's not distinct from the unbelievers. That, But what do we do with the fact that most Christians are marked just like the unbeliever in that I want to send my son off, my daughter off, to get an education at a secular school, um, right, so that they can make more money? Because that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Education is power. That's mm-hmm. what our society mm-hmm. says, right? Mm-hmm. The more education you get, the better job you get, the more better job you get, the more money you got, the more money you got, the more power you got, right? Mm-hmm. So the answer to poverty, education. The answer to homelessness, education. The answer to everything is education. This is what, because it empowers people to be able to go out and make more money. Right. Greed. Right. Why, why is it, since we're told to be content with food and clothing, mm-hmm. Food and clothing, the, the bare essentials right. that our thinking is so much like the cultures in this. Well, I, I, think, um, I think we have not done a good job in the church distinguishing between the fact that we are, are actually citizens of two worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we have done is we've overlaid those two worlds. So we've overlaid the culture and its values and its mindset concerning the American dream. I put that in air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've overlaid that as being 
um, biblical, a means of spirituality, a, a way to say this is how God is blessing. Uh, we use that as a measurement to um, use for um, spiritual freedom, for spiritual liberty, um, for success. I, I think we've we've not done a good job, uh, perhaps as pastors, elders. Um, we've not trained and taught our people that we are to think distinctly different. We are not to have... Um, the temporal above the eternal. And I don't know if that answers the question completely, Philip, but this should, that would be my first response, mm-hmm. you know, that we, we have not done well in doing that. And, of course, our, our culture is so bombarded. I mean, you can't turn on the radio, a television. You can't get on social media. You can't drive down the highway without seeing a billboard, an advertisement of some type in any of these mediums to say, don't be content. You got to have this car. You got to wear these clothes. Mm -hmm. You got to have this house. Um, It's all designed to be pushing us away from contentment. So we'll spend more. So we'll keep the the American dream going. Right. And capitalism as a ideology for um, the world, um, that's what the argument is right now in our culture, mm-hmm. uh, capitalism versus socialism. And it's obvious that capitalism is the better worldview. Um, it has done more to provide and protect people financially, care for the poor, um, meet needs, all of those things. But that's not that's not what the Bible's concerned with. That's not what God is concerned with in our spiritual life. Um, he is concerned with conforming us to the image of Christ. Um, therefore, we have to guard against the temptation. Remember, this is one of the things I said in laying the foundation for this. We have to guard against the um, temptation to make money an idol. Yes, um, I I think you're all right. Yeah, I was just I was just wanting to make, try to get that clear, especially since you remember that he's living in a world here, and and uh, that is, he's talking to people that are also citizens of two worlds, right? Yeah. I mean, two kingdoms, if you will, in yeah. that sense, right? right? He's talking to people that are in in that sense no different than we are, but there's there's. At least, and I know, and to put it back in its context, he's talking about false teachers necessarily here. Yeah. Who, um, uh, in our day, there's a lot much that could be said about this because right. there's so many um, false teachers. Um, Christian TV is 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 replete with with this kind of teacher, right? right. The one who would get on and um, and and argue, uh, you know, use themselves and the fact that they've built people out of billions of dollars as an example of God's favor. And um, if you could only um, sow a seed into their ministry, God will also show you favor, right? right. And in, in their own uh, greedy, um, the, their God is their belly mentality, uh, they have built people. And yet, um, really, it's sad because um, I was telling someone this the other day who is who is referencing the fact that so much of American Christianity is um, in, in in their estimation is um, is greedy and I said keep in mind that these aren't people who are necessarily um, are victims of false teachers mm-hmm. the false teachers are are there because of the greediness of the people who heap up teachers who say what they want to hear. Right. So it's not that the teacher comes along and then deceives a bunch of people. It's a whole bunch of people who want 
um, who are greedy in themselves mm-hmm. are looking for um, the benefits of God without God. And so they heap up teachers who, in the name of Christianity, offer them all the things that um, uh, that the lost man would have or would desire. Right. right? And there is no contentment with um, food and clothing. Right. And it's interesting here that he doesn't say he doesn't give us any more than that. He says that our contentment should be with food and clothing. Right. And yet, um, I mean, name anybody who doesn't um, who doesn't strive for a raise at the end of the, at the end of the year. Right. Right. Who's not looking for um, you know something? I mean, and we all do it. We all consider. You know, we we even ask the same questions that the pagans do. You know. Oh, you know, you look at a young man, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. You go, why do you grade a UN? And they go, oh, I'm a junior. And they go, oh yeah. Well, where are you going to college? Yeah. That's the first question we ask. What are you going to do? You know, what are you, what are you thinking about doing? Yeah. Well, there's good money in that, man. Now, yeah, go that route. Go that route. There's right. good money. Have I told you how you can invest? In, this is how we talk. Right. Instead of saying, um, you know, have you considered, uh, you know, how you're going to serve God with the rest of your life? Right? Have you right. considered how God has gifted you particularly to serve the body? Have you, you know, as, as elders and leaders, as people in the church, have we gone alongside a young man or a young woman and said, how can I offer up my wisdom and my time to teach you how to be content in what God has given and yet use your gifting to serve the people of God? Right. Well, we don't do that. The first thing we say is, where are you going to school? Right. What are you planning on doing with your life? You know, we'll uproot. You know, what's funny is people will uproot themselves and move all the way across the country for a job that makes $10,000 more a year, but they won't uproot themselves and move um, an hour closer to a church that actually teaches God's word. And this shows a disconnect in what's real, what's right, what's important, and what's not. Absolutely. We'll stay in a church that teaches nothing, or, you know, if you want to even call it a church, we'll stay in a church where we'll never grow. Because it's right around the corner, but we'd uproot our whole family and move all the way across the country so we can make $10,000 more a year. There is something wrong with that mentality. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we find ourselves um, thinking more in terms of this life immediately rather than thinking from an eternal perspective. Now, you're right. I'm going to go back and say something that because it prompted something, because what... Paul is doing here in the text that we're looking at, which is 1 Corinthians 6, um, verses 2 through 10, he is contrasting... 1 Timothy. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy. Um, He he is contrasting the false teacher's greediness to what the true teacher ought to be content with, food and clothing. Mm -hmm. but, But the principle is true of all believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the context, it's talking about teachers and sure. how that the love of money, if you're a spiritual teacher, should not be your motivating factor. Yeah. Well, in fact, um, since we're talking about the motivating factors of, of believers, you know, I'm, I'm teaching through First Peter right now, but it's interesting that in chapter one, the motivating factor is, is the knowledge of our salvation, past, present, and future. Mm. The, the motivating factor for, and by the way, he doesn't say to go out and make money, to go out and do this, to go out and do the other. The, he's saying, since you've been created anew in Christ, because you're being created more like Christ daily, because you have a future hope which is secure, our mo- that all should be motivating how we live right now in the context of loving our neighbor, right? Right. Now that you've been this way, having purified your hearts and purified your souls through the obedience of faith, Love, 
love, without hypocrisy, put away malice, put away all these things, right? Love. But we don't think that way at all. Right. Our motivation is the very same motivation that the lost man has. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, no, your motivation should be the fact that one day, all the trials, all the temptations, all the hardships, everything that plagues us in this life, it might even be um, not having any money, not having any more than food and clothing. Right. But all the things that, that, that plague us in this life are okay because we have something to motivate us. And that is our rest is to be fully and completely and totally on the salvation and the honor and glory that Christ, he even calls it grace, the grace that is to come when he appears. And, and that's the thing. If we could, like you just said, if our motivating factor was the life to come, the eternal state, right? The spiritual instead of the, the temporal, um, man, it, it could really r- radicalize uh, the way that Christians live right. their lives. Now, and that's not to say, uh, and I think we need to be clear, and we tr- I tried to set the foundation again to say in the beginning that that's not to say that money doesn't have a place in our growing in maturity. But and God's the one who gives power to get, right, make it, sure. Right. Money it's, is a wonderful thing when God gives it to right. us. And so we see in Scripture that we're taught to work for money. We're taught to taught that it is a gift of God. Yeah. We're to be responsible. We're taught to save for our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're taught to be generous. And so these things become uh, important as as measurements even of our, our spiritual maturity mm-hmm. and our thinking. But they can't be the idols of our life. They can't be uh, the, the motivating factors of what we uh, find ourselves in. So... Typically, the way that this is understood is that um, the the that money is the root of all evil, but we're talking about the love of money. Yes, and so we want to be clear on that as well. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So it can lead to some of the things that Paul even lists in this text. And it can lead to unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels, uh, envy, dissension, slander, uh, even evil suspicions, constant friction. That's the kind of evils that he's talking about. Yeah, And um, it can certainly lead to... Um, Problems of um, being overextended. Um, we're, we're told about how to be careful. The the borrower becomes slave to the lender. Those kinds of principles. So I think for us, you know, as believers, we we need to realize that um, God owns everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that we are to steward those things. Um, we are to hold them loosely. Um, we are to be um, mindful that um, God has given those things. So we have to cultivate, I think, a grateful heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and going back to Deuteronomy 8, that's one of the things that's emphasized there in Deuteronomy 8, to be thankful. I think we have to learn, and this is a big one, uh, learn the difference between wants and needs. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, food and clothing are, are needs. Mm-hmm. Um, um, extensive or expensive clothing, or ex- um, <laughs> yeah. and you know uh, we can go too far with those kinds of things. Um, they becoming wants. Um, I think believers ought to learn to, to discipline themselves on their spending. 
We were talking about that earlier this yes, morning. Yes, we were. I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> well, my wife. My wife's guilty. Yeah. You know, yeah. We're yeah. one, though. I guess that makes me guilty, right? <laughs> yeah. <now. laughs> um, real quick, uh, just as a, a final thought on this, Philip, let me ask you. Um, the believer is, is uh, called to give sacrificially to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between giving sacrificially to the Lord and what we typically call tithing? Yes. Okay, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think tithing was part of um, a theocratic system that was set up for Israel. If tithing, um, it's interesting you brought this up, but if tithing is is mandatory for the believer today, then so is all the other parts of the theocratic system for Israel. Mm-hmm. So that you need to be bringing your sheep and your goats, and you probably need to be bringing the tomatoes and, and fruits from your garden. Um, I mean, keep in mind that the this tithing system was actually established to, um, to be um, a taxation for the, the way the government was run, right. the theocratic government. Right. So um, we are different than that now. Right. But I think that actually puts a higher standard, it, not a higher standard, uh, that's probably a diff- wrong way to say it, but it, it elevates our responsibility to some extent. So um, it, it's not that the law comes along and says you need to give 10%. It's that the, the Bible says, I've given to you generously, now you need to give to me generously. Um, that would be uh, what we're told to. So I think the standard for giving from uh, out of a generous heart, deciding what you would give and then giving to the Lord generously probably um, elevates um, giving beyond the idea that um, a, ten, a tithe. But what's funny, if you actually can go back to the theocratic system, the tithe, actually, though, there was a 10% tithe, and there was actually a couple of those that were required. Right. It actually averaged out to about 22 to 23% right. of the income right. was, was mandatory. And people like the word tithe when they hear that because it means 10th. Right. But I would argue that probably there's a, there's a greater demand or responsibility on believers to give out of the abundance, especially in a, in a society like we live in today, where all of us, all of us, even our widows, mm-hmm. right, have an abundance. Right. I mean, we, we think about the poor widow who doesn't have very much, mm-hmm. and, um, and we have no, we really take into consideration no account at all of history and the fact that there used to be people who, um, who every day, Right. Um, wondered if they were going to make it through the day. Right. 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 And we just we don't think along those lines. I mean, right. we have air conditioning and cars and, right. you know, and yeah. we might not have the food we like every day, but we got plenty of food every day. Right. And there's and so we don't think along those lines. But um, but we have an excess. We are so blessed in that. So there's a there's a tremendous responsibility upon us. So. Right. That's well, my thought on the time. Right. And I would totally agree with that. And, and uh, I wanted to put that little piece into this podcast just because we're talking about money. We're talking about thinking uh, rightly, biblically about it. And so I wanted to to add those thoughts, and I would agree with everything. For any, anybody out there who's thinking about being a Southern Baptist preacher one day, don't use that way if you're being interviewed. Don't use that because they won't hire you at all if you tell them that you don't believe in tithing. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, the, the question was um, related to uh, is money the root of all evil? And we've, yeah. I hope, been clear uh, that the love of money. I'd actually want to interrupt just for a second okay. because when you, it's funny that there's a connection there. There are actually word, faith, prosperity preachers mm-hmm. who will stand up on stage and say, if you're not tithing, you're lost. 
Wow. Uh, if you are not giving, you're out of the will of God. That you're. I mean, in fact, um, there's a guy over in Dallas, uh, um, Morris, Robert Morris. Who, who, who uses that line all the time, right? I mean, if you're, and they, they hammer tithing, 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 tithing. Well, they're prosperity preachers. Of course they do, right? If you're not tithing. Um, Creflo Nickel, I mean, Creflo Dollar, <laughs> he does the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's made statements plenty of times. If you're not tithing, you're probably not a Christian. And it's funny. It's like, wow, the way that they would twist scripture to elicit funds from the believers, but they elicit funds from the believers because the believers ultimately want, um, you know, a tenfold or a hundredfold blessing, right? right for right. giving. Yeah. I give you 10 and you give me a thousand. That sounds good. Lord, let's do it. Right. right. I mean, this is the kind of thinking they have. So right. it's a, it's a mess. Right. Well, um, second Corinthians chapters eight and nine, again, referencing the sermon series that we did in second Corinthians, but several sermons on those two chapters. Mm-hmm. And we spoke about these things pretty um, clearly and I think um, um, comprehensively thinking about money and tithing and how we have to think about that and um, the extravagant sacrificial kind of giving that believers really are to do, Mm -hmm. again, um, guarding against the idolatry of the love of money and then using money to... um, um, be um, a measurement even of what God is doing in your life. Mm-hmm. So um, I hope that that answers that question, gives clarity to um, what the thought is in that context, in those, that verse, um, those verses rather, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Thanks for listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast. If what you've heard today has been helpful to you, please subscribe. On behalf of the elders of BBC, I invite you to a worship service at Believer's Baptist Church this coming Sunday. The Bible study hour begins at 9.15 and the worship service begins at 10.30. Grace and peace. Peace.